it is better to give others a piece of your heart rather than a piece of your mind. So we are looking at Beatitude number 5, Matthew's Gospel chapter 5 and verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, when you are looking at uh, the Roman world, the Roman world did not really admire mercy. Romans, for example, admired justice and courage and self-control and wisdom, but definitely not mercy. In fact, the philosophers called mercy a disease of the soul, something to detest and something that you have to be ashamed about. The Jews, on the other hand, for them, mercy, when they thought about mercy, they thought of two things. One was a pardon of injuries that people had done, and the other was the practice of giving money to those who were blind and lame and needy, which is called as almsgiving. But Jesus, when he uses this word, blessed are the merciful, he is not speaking of any of these. In fact, he is actually using mercy in the sense of having a pain of heart. Having a pain of heart. What it really means, we will look at this evening. Now, this particular beatitude, if you notice, you, know, you have, you know, it's like a you know, bookends in, a, in the beginning as well as the end. You know, if you are merciful, you will also receive mercy. It stands both as a duty to be done and also a reward that is given. And the Hebrew word for uh, godly actually signifies merciful. In other words, a person who is godly is merciful. So, when you're thinking about this word mercy, let's look at what it actually means in the original Greek word. Okay, The Greek word for mercy is elios and it means, <coughs> it refers to one who is actively compassionate or one who is benevolently merciful involving both thought as well as action. In other words, the Greek word for mercy is speaking about someone who is passionate, not just in the pain, not just in the mind, but this motivates that individual to do something. And when you are looking at a word study, it actually means God's kindness and goodwill toward the miserable, the afflicted, which is joined also with a desire to relieve them. So when you're looking at the mercy of God, we look at how God is concerned for man and he is not just concerned and compassionate, he begins to do something for it. When Jesus was here, the Bible speaks about how he had compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now what did that lead him to do? That led him to be involved with them, that also definitely led him to go to the cross to die for them because that was the way through which these people who were roaming around like sheep without a shepherd could be joined back to the good shepherd. So mercy is uh, compassion, yes, but mercy is also not just the emotion, but leads to action. Originally, yes, it referred to the emotion that was aroused in a person for a person who was suffering. But by the time New Testament times came in, it was incorporated into a compassionate response. Somebody who was moved to 
help an individual who was in misery. So, when you're looking at the word mercy, it is not just feeling compassion, but doing something to alleviate the suffering and the distress. So, it consists of three elements. Number one, you see the need. That is recognition. Okay, you feel the need. You see the what is happening because a lot of people can see need around them and still, in that sense, not see it. Okay, they don't recognize needs of people around. So the first step is you see the need. That's the recognition. You see something, you feel for it, and then you move to the next one. You are moved by that need. You know that is motivation. First, there's the recognition of a need, then it moves to the motivation. Hey, here's a person who is suffering, here's a person who is need, here's a uh, compassion that comes inside of you to say, I must do something. And thirdly, you are actually moved to meet that need, that is action. So, when you're thinking about this mercy, the word mercy, blessed are the merciful, it means these three aspects, these are the three elements of it. First of all, you must recognize you know, those people who are in need, then you have to be motivated to do something to meet that need, and then you move into action. So. Look around, ask yourself, the first four Beatitudes was, spoken, was speaking about internal attitudes, okay. Now, from here onwards, you are moving on into, if you have this internally, then it will lead you on to the right action. In other words, if you have hunger and thirst for righteousness, what does God really want of my life, this is your heart's desire, then you and I would also be moved like with compassion as Jesus was moved with compassion. We see the need and then we are motivated to do something and we also get involved in action. That is what it really means to show mercy. Thirdly, there is a difference between mercy and grace. There is a difference between mercy and grace. Okay, Mercy always deals with what we see of pain and misery and distress. Mercy deals with what we see of the pain, whereas on, which is actually a result of sin. Whereas on the other hand, grace always deals with the sin and the guilt itself. Grace deals with the sin Mercy deals with the result of sin. Secondly, mercy extends relief. You know, grace, on the other hand, offers pardon. Here is when you're thinking about you know, mankind, we speak about God's mercy and grace. God's mercy saw that man had been distanced you know, in his relationship with God. He felt the pain. And as a result, he reached out in grace, sent Jesus into this world to pay for the penalty so that the sin and the guilt was dealt with. Okay, So the pardon was given to us, that is grace. Thirdly, mercy heals and helps, whereas on the other hand, grace cleanses and reinstates. That's the grace of God. The grace of God doesn't just say, okay, I've done this for you, you're continuing in that state. Jesus said, go and sin no more. That is the grace and mercy of God which enables an individual not only to get that uh, cleansing, but to move on into a different level. That is 
the grace. Okay, so mercy is love reaching out to those you know, who are helpless, who need salvation, and grace is that which is love that is shown to an individual who doesn't even deserve that type of a love. Now, moving on further, what's the difference between mercy and love? What's the difference between mercy and love? In some in areas, there would be a overlapping. Then in some areas, there would be in a difference. Some areas, they may be same. Let's look at simple things. In a, for example, number one, mercy properly respects those who are miserable, whereas love is of a larger consideration. Mercy is dealing with that particular situation alone. Love is reaching out to a larger situation. Love is like a friend who will visit those who are well. Whereas mercy is like a doctor or a physician who will visit only those who are sick. Again, love acts out of affection. Mercy acts out of a principle of conscience. You know, you feel the need, you know something is wrong, this doesn't feel right. As a result, you begin to act. Whereas love moves out of an affection. You have love for that individual and you want to help that individual. Number four, mercy lends its hand to another, whereas love gives its heart to another. Action and feeling inside. So they, they differ in certain ways, but they definitely agree that mercy and love go together to bring healing to people who need that touch. So we have looked at what mercy is, we looked at the difference between mercy and grace, mercy and love. All these things now work together. In order to understand this togetherness, let's look at the mercy of God. Let's look at the mercy of God. According to theologians, God has two kinds of attributes. Absolute attributes and relative attributes. What are the absolute attributes? They describe what God is like in himself, totally apart from his creation. In other words, when you think about God is love, that's an innate attribute of God. Even if there were no human beings around to know about it, God is still love. God is still truth. God is still holy. These are all essential characteristics of his being. But when God created humans, then he had to translate these attributes into his relationship with them. So we have what is what theologians have called as relative attributes. We have the absolute attributes, we have his relative attributes. What happens then? Truth then becomes faithfulness. Holiness becomes justice. Love becomes grace and mercy. And mercy becomes the bridge, as it were, so that God can relate to us. Okay? And that is the bridge that God wants us to use when we have to relate with somebody else. So these next four you know, Beatitudes are speaking about our relationship with people around. So how do we do that? What is the bridge that will relate us to them? The key is mercy. Mercy is the bridge that, will, that we are going to use to relate lovingly to others. Remember, God's mercy and grace grow out of his love. It comes from his love. Nobody is saved because God loves him or her, isn't it? Because God loves the whole world. 
But sinners are saved because God's grace and mercy, which is his love in action. Okay? It is easy to remember the difference between these two when we understand that grace is when God gives me what I do not deserve and mercy is what he does not give me what I do deserve. So God's grace, mercy and love, all these things work together. But remember again, the link that we are looking at is it begins with pain. Somebody hurts us unjustly, then we have to respond to that hurt. If we have no power, then we just give in. But if we have the power to retaliate, then we must decide what to do. We cannot show mercy unless you have the power to hurt the individual, retaliate the other individual. Okay. So this is what, when you're thinking about the mercy of God, this is what God has done for us. It starts with pain. When God created Adam and Eve and when sin into the, entered into the world, there was pain because now the fellowship that they had when they could go for long walks together, now that was broken. So when God came to that you know, garden that day, he says, where are you? Because they had broken that relationship, there was pain. So somebody, the mankind, had hurt God unjustly. Okay? Now there had to be a response to that. Okay? Now, did God have the power? Yes, he had the power. Has the power. Did God retaliate? How did he retaliate? You know, he sent them out, yes, but that was his mercy lest they eat of the tree of life and continue in that state. And then the pain that he had continued further when he sends Jesus into this world to die for us so that that bridge can be made. So that that which was uh, having a gap in relationship now could be restored. This is what mercy is all about. Somebody who has the power to retaliate, but instead of retaliating in that sense and punishing that person, God could have retaliated in the negative sense in terms of saying, okay, I'm going to wipe out these two people and start off all over again. He had the power to do that, but he did not do it. Instead, he made a way so that they could be reconciled back. This is what the mercy of God is all about. And these are the same links that would happen even in our own lives when we have to show mercy. Here when somebody wrongs us, when somebody give, you know, does something wrong to us, hurts us, injures us, okay, there is a pain in that relationship. Now if you don't have the power to hurt them, to retaliate and punish them, then there's no mercy that can be shown. But when you have the power and then instead of hurting them, you say, no, I'm not going to hurt you, but I'm going to show you love, I'm going to show you, you know, the truth. And that power that you have then releases them to change their lives. That is what mercy is all about. So when we are showing mercy to others, remember <coughs> it is you know, the you are actually practicing one of the attributes of God. And that should be an awesome thought for us to think on. That when we show mercy, mercy is actually putting us in the place of God in somebody else's life. Now remember, we have received his divine nature. He is the one who is in us. 
and he is the one who exhibits these divine attributes to people around. Remember, it's not possible for you and me on our own to you know, live out the Beatitudes. And when it comes to mercy, this is definitely true. On our own strength, we cannot live it out. But when we begin to trust God and say, God, you are the one who is living this out in me, then we find that we are able to share this uh, no, mercy with the person around us. Number six, examples of people who showed genuine mercy. Number six, examples of people who showed genuine mercy. Perhaps the best way to understand mercy could be actual examples. Number one is Abraham. You have in Genesis chapter 14, the story of Abraham's courageous rescue of his nephew. Remember, we spoke about how Abraham was willing to give the first share for Lot to decide where he should go. And Lot decided to pick up, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah because it was nice and green to his eyes and good for pasture for his flock. Now, when he is living over there, you have the kings, the enemy kings attacking Sodom and Lot as a result faced the consequences of it. When Abraham heard about it, what did he do? What did he do? Did he say, deserve, you know, you took the first share, now you better suffer for it. No, what did he do? He went and rescued him. He went and rescued him. He had the power to hurt Lot, okay, but in faith he showed him mercy. And this is why he is honored as the man of faith. Now this is what mercy is. You have the power to get even as it were. You have the power to inflict injury as it were. But still he said, no, I am going to show mercy to the individual. Number two, you have Joseph. The second example is Joseph. We are familiar again with the story of Joseph. You know, you have how his brothers have ill-treated him. And finally, now Joseph is in power. Okay? Does he have the authority to do something for them, against them? Yes, he had the power. But how did he show mercy to them? In fact, instead of punishing them in any way, he welcomes them. He meets their needs. You know. He gets his family into Egypt and looks after them. That is what mercy is all about. You have the power to do hurt, but you say, no, I will show mercy. They don't deserve it, but you are willing to show it. Why? Because God has shown mercy to you. Thirdly, you have the case of David. You have the case of David. Remember about David and Saul. God has already ordained David to be king, but Saul, Saul is uh, an individual who is still hesitant about you know, uh, what he has done. He is not willing to accept that he has done wrong. He is still thinking that he will continue to be king, but God has said, no, you are not the one. David is the one. So David has to wait till Saul dies. And he's running away, running away. Saul is chasing him. But at so many points, you know, at least two specific points, David has the, uh, the time, the opportunity to kill Saul. 
In fact, even his own people who are around with him say, hey, why don't you do that? Okay. But what does he do? In the first occasion, he cuts a piece of the cloth you know, and then calls out to Saul later on to say, look here, I could have killed you, but this is what I have done. And then in another occasion, he takes the spear and the water jug near Saul's head and they leave. And then again, he calls up and you know, he calls Saul across you know, the mountains and tells him, hey, I look here, I had the opportunity to kill, but I didn't. That is what mercy is all about. Did he deserve to be punished? Yes, he deserved to be punished. But what did David do? He made sure that he did not punish, but rather showed mercy. Fourthly, classic example is definitely of Jesus. Jesus. When he came into this world, you know, the scripture tells us about how the chief priests and the rulers who had arrested him, you know, they said, you know, call down angels from heaven. They ridiculed him. But Jesus did not say a word. Could he have called down 10,000 angels from heaven and destroyed all of them at one shot? Yes. Did he have the power to strike all of them down, kill them? Yes, he had the power. But mercy says, no. Was he hurting? Was he pained by what they were doing? Yes. But mercy says, no, I'm not going to give what they deserve. I'm going to give what they do not deserve. That is what mercy is. That's why in Psalm 85 and verse 10, we have this phrase, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And this is definitely fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Now, these are examples of people who show genuine mercy. But there's also a possibility of people who show counterfeit mercy. Counterfeit mercy. So if you're not discerning, you can practice a kind of you know, uh, counterfeit mercy that denies truth and righteousness and does not lead to peace. Think of David. Think of David. When David showed mercy to Absalom, what happened? Absalom has found that you know, his sister Tamar has been raped you know, by the brother Amnon. Now, what does he do? He waits for two years, then gets all the brothers together, gets permission from David to say, please send all the brothers together, I'm going to have a party. And he makes sure that he kills Amnon that particular day. He waited for that time and he kills him to take revenge. Did he show mercy? Not at all. But what is, uh, Abraham, uh, what is uh, David's response to that? Did he, uh, you know, condemn him in any way? You know, no, he excused him. He excused him. And that excusing, it may seem as if he was showing mercy to him. But no, because he did not confront him with the truth. He didn't say, this is what he have done, but I'm showing mercy. When Absalom ran away from him, he didn't do anything about it. And as a result, for a long period of time, you find that Absalom thinks that he can get away with murder, as it were. And finally, he takes off David himself from the throne. There is no record whatsoever of Absalom ever repenting. Okay, whereas David is not shown mercy because mercy is linked with truth and righteousness. He is just condoning it. He is overlooking it. That's not mercy. Secondly, when you're thinking of Ahab, Ahab's treatment of Ben-Hadad, who was a rival king. You find this in 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 32. 
he was was ordered to slay the enemy king, but he thought he will decide to spare him. He thought he will spare him. That's an act of mercy. Like Saul, for example, said, I'm going to spare Agag. When God said, destroy everything, he said, I will spare him. That's not showing mercy. When God has said something, you go against that. That's not mercy whatsoever. These are all counterfeit mercies and we need to be careful about it. So having understood this, let's remember a basic principle now, number eight. You cannot extend mercy until you have received it. It's only when we have understood God's mercy and we have received it, then only we are in a position to share it with others. Because remember, mercy is not a natural human quality as it were. It must be received as a gift from God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 tells us, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. So, it is only when we have understood it is not because of I was good, so God showed me mercy. Not at all. I didn't have anything at all. I didn't deserve anything. But God still showed me mercy. Once we understand this, then we are able to give this mercy. Illustration of this you find in Matthew's Gospel chapter 18. Verses 21 to 35. We have this case of the unmerciful servant. Remember, you're familiar with that in a a passage where you have an individual who owes a lot of money to the king. And the king says, okay, I excuse you. You don't have to pay that anymore. But what does he do? Instead of being happy and giving that pardon or that absolving the other individual who owes him money, what does he do? He goes and picks him up and decides to torture him and throw him in jail and do punish him and pester him so that he gets that small amount back. And when the king hears about it, you find him picking up this unmerciful servant and throwing him in jail. Why? What do we learn from this? He has not understood the mercy of the king. He thought, you know, he was, you know, he could do, you know, because he was good. Because basically, if you notice, he asked the king, please give me some more time. So he thought, maybe, yes, the king has been gracious to me, so it's okay. You know, I'm a pretty good guy. Now, it is only when we understand that we could not merit God's favor in any way, but still God showed mercy to us, then we are able to give this undeserved favor and mercy to somebody else. Okay. Now, this is why it is so very important. Unless we have received mercy, we cannot extend it to others. And I believe strongly that we are not able to show mercy to people who are in need because we think we have deserved something. We have been good enough, so as a result, God has shown mercy to us. But what about the other guy? That guy doesn't deserve it, so that's why I'm not going to do anything about it. No. But the more we understand this, uh, that the salvation that God has given to us, it is not because we deserved it. It is because undeserved favor of God. We have nothing in us that would merit God's enough favor of salvation, but he still gave it to us 
that becomes our motivation to give it to others as well. Three things over here, if in case the PowerPoints, okay, the PowerPoint has come on, salvation number one, okay, salvation number one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 28, where we speak about the Lord's table, and the scripture says, examine yourselves, remember his death. Remember his death. Jesus wants us to remember his death. Why does he want us to remember his death every time we come together at the table? To recognize that we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve this. But God in his mercy died for us so that we could have this relationship with him. So that's what it means when it says don't eat it with an unworthy manner. Come prepared. Come with an understanding that I'm not good enough. Come with an understanding that you know you have forsaken sin. If there's anything that is blocking relationships with God, with another person, you know, make sure that that has been corrected. That is what it means when he says come at the table understanding that you don't deserve it, but he He has given it to us and we recognize the grace of God, the mercy of God in our salvation. (laughs) Number two, once we are saved, we need to continually submit ourselves to him to recognize we cannot do it on our own. Not to say we have started the work so somehow we will manage till the end. No, God has started the work. We have to continue to depend upon him. So if you notice in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 speaks about you know, submitting ourselves as a living sacrifice. But if you notice with the rest of the uh, passage in verse you know, 14, 17, 19, 21, it speaks about what we need to do, the mercy that we need to show. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my friends. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, this is the the response or the outward response of an individual who has submitted himself to God as a living sacrifice and say, Lord, here's my life. I depend on you. I cannot do this on my own. And then when we do that, then God gives us these instructions as it were. How can you show, how can you know that you're living a submitted life when you have these characteristics and qualities in our lives. Number three, besides salvation and submission, there's a third essential that must be there, and that is suffering. That is suffering. Those extending mercy suffer because they experience the hurt caused by the enemy, and those receiving mercy also suffer as they realize that what they have done has hurt the individual and they want to repent of their sin. So when you're dealing with sin, there is going to be pain. There's going to be now wounds that are there. But as we are willing to give that mercy, suffering will be turned into joy. Look at John chapter 8, where we have the Pharisees confronting Jesus with a woman who was caught in adultery. If you notice in that passage, you find three particular responses to hurt three particular responses to wrongs and you know, injuries that have been done. One is the way of Moses, where you find in John chapter 8 and verse 5, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. That's what the Pharisees said. This is an option. You have the power, you are the bosses, here's a woman who's caught in adultery, what do you do? Stone her to death. That's what the law says. 
A second way is to find the sinner, expose the sinner, and even use that sinner to, for your own selfish purposes. And that's again what the Pharisees were doing. They said, here we have caught this woman in the act of adultery. And by so doing, what were they trying to do? They said, we are going to expose the sinner. And by exposing the sinner, we are going to show how good we are. That is what their response to dealing with sin was. So what did Jesus do for that? Then you find that passage where he writes on the ground. And then he says, if anyone of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. So the first method is the method of the law. Second method is the normal human response, where you want to put that person down so that you feel up. You know, you feel you're better than that individual. That is not the right response. What is the right response? John chapter 8 and verse 11. It says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Think of what offering that forgiveness cost Jesus. Yes, he was pained by the woman's sin, but he was also recognizing of how he would suffer and die so that individuals who are caught up in this can definitely be relieved from that and find joy. Now, vindictive, defensive Christians are protecting themselves, whereas merciful Christians are making themselves vulnerable. So, receiving mercy, once you've understood, you become vulnerable in that aspect of receiving it from God. You didn't think that you are a great guy, you don't think you are a good person, but you recognize, you know, like Paul would say, I'm the chief of all sinners, you recognize that if it was not for the grace and mercy of God, where would you be? So once you've understood your true nature and you've received of that mercy, then you're actually making yourself vulnerable. You're vulnerable before God as well as vulnerable to people around you. Look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. The priest, the Levite, went past the half-dead traveler. Why? Because they wanted to save themselves from suffering and any danger that could be there. Whereas the good Samaritan made himself vulnerable. He exposed himself to the suffering so that he might show mercy. And this is what we understand about mercy. Some of David's greatest psalms come out of the painful experiences that he had with Saul and Absalom. And those songs then, you know, helped us today because even when we are going through suffering, when we are going through these situations, when God deals with us, some of our greatest songs will also be born the same way. So mercy, showing mercy is going to be a painful experience. You're going to make yourself vulnerable, but in the process there is going to be joy. Let's look at now some objections which people give why they shouldn't show mercy why they should not show mercy. <laughs> Number one, people say, if I give, then there will come a time in my life, then, you know, I would not have anything, okay? So they say, you know, I don't want to give, okay? But remember the simple principle, wells which have their water drawn spring ever more freely. In other words, the more water you draw from the well, the more it continues to replenish itself, isn't it? Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 25 tells us, The liberal soul shall be made fat. The liberal soul shall be made fat. Okay? 
as the loaves were multiplied or as the widow's oil increased by pouring it out, okay, God is no man's debtor. If we are restricting mercy, you know, to those who are in need and say, look, yeah, my supply will run out, then it shows that we are on the wrong track. That is not a right reason. That is not the right objection for not meeting the needs of people around. Number two, a person may say, I cannot do so much as others. I cannot do so much as others. Sometimes you may look around individuals and see how much help they have done for people who are in need. Maybe you can look at individuals who have cared for the poor, individuals who have cared for individuals who are in need, especially during this pandemic times how people have gone above and beyond their means. And you may say, oh, they are doing so much. I cannot do as much as them. And uh, what can you do for that? Luke chapter 21 was 14 speaks about how Jesus was standing at the place where they were taking their offerings and he saw these this widow putting that widow's might okay now it's not the amount that is important it is the heart that is important it is not the amount that is important it's how much you are keeping back that is important and that's what the principle is if we cannot do much do something okay do something in Exodus chapter 35, verses 22 to 24, there's an interesting passage over there. When they brought the, their, their offerings you know, for the temple, it says over there, some people brought gold and silver, and some people brought goat's hair for the building of the tabernacle. Some brought gold and silver, some people brought goat's hair. You know, everything was made use of. So it should not be a, a, an objection to say, I cannot give as much other, as others, I cannot help those people who are in need as much as the others are doing, so I would not do anything at all. No, do as much as you definitely can with what God has provided you. So when you recognize how much God has given you, how much merciful He has been to you, then that becomes the motivation to help others. Otherwise, you are thinking only about yourself and you are saying, no, I don't have much or if I give, then what will happen to me? Thirdly, a person will say, I do not have anything to bestow. Okay? I do not have anything to bestow. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 2 says, speak comfortably to Jerusalem. In other words, Sena, even if you cannot give anything, you can always speak, you can always pray, you can always Sena, speak a word of comfort. It is not just the material aspect of the mercy part of it. It is that emotional support, it is the feeling, it is the empathizing, that can definitely be done. So if a person has these objections to say, oh, I cannot show mercy, wrong track. Because each one of us can definitely show mercy. Let's look now some reasons why we must show mercy. Why we must show mercy. Number one, okay, because this is why God has created us or recreated us, okay, to be diffusively or to be endlessly good is the great end of our recreation. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's the reason why God has recreated us. God has not recreated us just so that we go to heaven. 
God has recreated us so that we do good works which he has already planned ahead for us. Every creature has a purpose in creation. The stars shine, the bird sings, the plant bears fruit. Every creature has a purpose. So what is God's purpose for man? What is God's purpose for creating us and for recreating us? The scripture is very clear. It is so that we will do good works. Good works does not save us, remember, but God has created us for good works. Remember, it is not on our own strength that we (laughs) show mercy or are merciful. It is because of God's mercy in us. It is because of God's gift to us. So as we draw from this, then we recognize our purpose. And when we look for the good works that he has already planned, already worked out, we look for opportunities that we can show mercy. Number two, by mercifulness, we resemble God who is a God of mercy. The scripture tells us his tender mercies are over all his works. His tender mercies are over all his works. Every time we breathe in, what do we understand? It's his mercy, isn't it? Every breath that we take is God's mercy. You know, even if we stop breathing for minute, couple of minutes, split seconds, you know, we find that, you know, our life may ebb away. So every time we draw our breath, we are actually (laughs) sucking in mercy. Every time we eat a meal, we recognize it is because of his mercy that that provision has been made to us. And also when you're thinking about the spiritual mercies that God has showered upon us, by adopting us into his family, by saving us, by offering pardon to us, okay, we can never fully finish the whole picture about the mercy of God. So, when the scripture is speaking about God's mercy, we are saying that when we show mercy, we are resembling God, or we become the agents for God to show mercy. Or, if God is in us, then we should be showing mercy because he is a God of mercy. Number three, arms are a sacrifice to God. Arms are a sacrifice to God. If Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16 tells us, Do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Do good, share with others, show mercy to others who are in need. Because with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Remember, there are two types of sacrifices. One is the expiatory, which is called as the sacrifice of Christ's blood on the cross for our salvation. The other sacrifice is the sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's the sacrifice of giving thanks to God for what he has given to us. And as a result, we give to others as an expression of what God has given to us. Okay, We don't keep it ourselves. Remember in Acts chapter 10 and verse 4, the angels told Cornelius, your acts of charity have come up as a memorial offering before God. So when we do these acts of mercy, when we show these acts of mercy, when the mercy is lived out in action, then it becomes a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. It is not because of this that we are saved, remember. That's not the expiatory sacrifice. It is the thanksgiving sacrifice. By doing this good, we are expressing our thanks to God. Number four, 
we must also remember that we ourselves live upon arms. We ourselves live upon arms. Psalm 65 and verse 13. Psalm 65 and verse 13 speaks about, you know, the meadows are clothed with flocks of sheep, the valleys are carpeted with grain, they all shout and sing for joy. What is this passage telling us? One creature, the sheep, give us wool, another gives us oil, another gives us silk, you know, the earth is bringing all this crop for whom? For us. We are glad that we don't have to go begging to creation because creation has been made so that we can receive. So we are dependent upon creation. That's why when we misuse creation, we are the sufferers. Okay? We ourselves are dependent upon what God has created. Okay? So we must remember we are not just created just for ourselves, we are created for others. Creation we need to look after because we are dependent on that. Number five, we are to extend our liberality by virtue of a membership. Why do we you know, are merciful? Because we remember we are part of a family. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7 Isaiah 50 and verse 7, Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. We are part of a membership. We are part of a body. We are part of a family. As a result, you know, each one has a role to play. The eye of our body gives light. The heart supplies the blood. Each part of the body is functioning. And as a result, nobody can say, this is mine, I will do what I want to. Now we are part of a larger body. As a result, we need to function together. Sixthly, we are not lords of an estate, but we are stewards. We are not lords of an estate, but we are stewards. In Luke chapter 16, we find this incident about how the manager went away and gave charge to the individuals to say, look after now, these individuals were not the owners. These individuals were only stewards. So, as a result, we must remember what God has given to us. We are only stewards of it. Why has he blessed us? So that we can bless others. With the mercy that we have received, we should be merciful to others. Okay. Next one, the examples of those who have been renowned for acts of mercy... You know, we learn from their examples, okay? Remember in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, we speak about how by his stripes we are healed, okay? By his stripes we are healed. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we have received his <coughs> mercy. If you notice, the Jews were well known for almsgiving. A lot of the non-Christian world today is also known for almsgiving. But when they view almsgiving, it is like you know, getting some more points in favor so that they can get salvation. But that is now how, not how the Christian shows mercy. That is not how the Christian is involved in almsgiving. He recognizes the abundance that God has given. He is thankful, he is grateful. And as a result of what God has done in his life, he begins to reach out to others and show mercy to others. The next one, the final one, is the sin, and our second last one, the sin of unmercifulness. An unmerciful person is an unthankful person. 
And that's something that we should never be, isn't it? In Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, these two negative things are put together, unthankful and without natural affection. In other words, this is not natural. Okay? A person who is unthankful, a believer is unthankful, that's not natural. The more you understand what God has done for us, when we are received of His mercy, then it causes us, when we see others who do not have that, there's pain, we reach out, whether it is that the physical part of it and definitely beyond that, the spiritual part of it, to understand, to meet that need in Christ and Christ alone. So if we don't do this, then it shows we are ungrateful, unthankful for what God has done for us. It shows that a person does not really love the Lord. Finally, <coughs> the last one is that there's a reward that follows almsgiving. There's a reward that follows almsgiving. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, verse 40. Matthew 25, verse 40 says, Inasmuch as you have done it, to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it for me. Inasmuch you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it for me. So when the scripture is saying, if you show mercy, you will obtain mercy. Because okay, so if you have understood, I hope, what it really means about this mercy part of it. Okay, It is you know, the pain that we feel when somebody does not you know, have something. It is the pain that we feel when somebody wrongs us. What is our response to that? It is only when you have the power to do something negative, but you show the positive to it, that is what showing mercy is all about. We have also understood that we can extend mercy only when we have first of all understood the mercy of God. We didn't deserve it, but He has given, showered His grace and mercy upon us. The more we, this truth grips us, then it frees us, it re, you know, sets us free to show and give mercy to people around us as well. What does it mean to obtain mercy? What does it mean? What is the promise that is mentioned? If you do this, then you will have this. Now, it does not mean that if A is merciful to B, then B will be merciful to A. Okay? This is not what it is speaking about. Okay? It is not if you are showing mercy to that individual, that individual will show mercy to you. Not necessarily at all. In fact, sometimes that person may be even angry at you. Don't worry about that. Okay? What does it mean? It certainly does not mean that we earn mercy because we extend mercy. Okay? So it is not A to B, B to A. No. It is not either that if we want to earn mercy, then we must give mercy. It is not to say that if I help others who are in need, then God will show mercy to me. No, it is not like that either. <laughs> the beatitude is saying that when you experience and share mercy, then your heart is in such a condition that you can receive more mercy to share with others. This is what this beatitude is speaking about. When you have received mercy from God and you give this unconditionally to people who are around you because you recognize you didn't deserve it, God gave it to you, so you gave it to others around you, then you find that God gives you more mercy. You don't go bankrupt. You don't have to say, if I show mercy to others, I won't have anything left. No. 
God gives you more mercy so that you can give mercy more to others in return. This is what it means when it says, given it shall be given to you. Warren Wesby puts it across this way then. Mercy is a bridge God built to mankind. And mercy is a bridge that we build to others. Mercy is a bridge that God built towards man so that man and God can be restored. Now mercy is the same bridge that we can build. How can we share the gospel? How can we help those who are in need? How can we make sure that they don't know the truth? There is hurting people all around us. What is the bridge? The bridge is to show mercy. Now, any reward for this? Yes, the unmerciful person, the merciful person rather, will be rewarded in this life and also in the next life. He will be rewarded in this life and also in the next life. What does it mean in this life? Okay, Psalm 41 and verse 1 tells us, Blessed is he who considers the poor. In other words, in his person he would find favor with God. God's favor rests upon those individuals who do not think about themselves, but they are willing to give themselves to others. Secondly, the Bible tells us in Psalm 112 and verse 6, He shall be had in everlasting remembrance. Okay, Or people will remember him. People will remember him even after he dies for the good that was done through him. For people whom he helped, for people whom he brought to the Lord, for people whom he helped those who were suffering because he was merciful to them. Or maybe individuals who had wronged him and how he treated them back in return, not taking revenge but showing mercy. They will remember him. Number three... In his posterity, in his posterity, Psalm 37, verse 26, Psalm 37, verse 26, He is ever merciful and lends, and his seed is blessed. His seed is blessed. Not only his generation, but his seed as well. Coming generations as well will remember. And when you look at history, you will find we will still remember some individuals who reached out and helped other lives, you know, who still did not you know, do you know, wrong you know, for the wrong that was done to them. Their names will still go down in history. Secondly, they would also be rewarded in the life to come. God will reward them in the life to come as well. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12, it says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. According to their works. Now, God will reward the merciful person, not for his works, but according to his works. The works is not the one that has saved him, so he's there. But God has saved us for good works. So our judgment will be, our rewards will be on the basis of the good works that God had planned and whether we responded to him or not. So as the scripture speaks about God has put all our tears in his bottle, the scripture is also telling us here, God is also writing down all the good works that we are doing. 
So we need to make sure that there is a reward in the future. So we need to make sure that our lives here on earth is living according to what God has planned. We have been created, recreated unto good works which God has planned for us. The question would be, are we living for ourselves or are we living for what God wants of us? If you're looking for opportunities to do that which God has created us for, there are plenty of opportunities around. But if you're looking only at ourselves, then we find we'll have a closed eye. We won't see any need. We won't be able to recognize any need because we are caught up only with ourselves. Secondly, Christians are surrounded by mercy. Surrounded by (coughs) mercy. Psalm 23 and verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Right here on earth, till we see him face to face. God assures us that his goodness and mercy will follow us. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 tells us, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It is because of his mercy that we are not consumed. It is because of his mercy that we are able to get up in the morning. There is life in us. It is his mercy. So as a result, even when we start the day, we must be grateful to the mercy of God in our lives. And then as a result, we are able to look for opportunities during the day to show mercy to people around us. Now, when we show mercy, it actually sets us free because it sets us free from grudges that we may have against people because grudges actually drain the strength and unsettle the mind. Okay? Now, what happened to that unmerciful servant in the parable? He, it resulted in him and his family being put into prison because he could not forgive his friend. Now, we can be sure that there are plenty of opportunities to show mercy. We will never run out of opportunities. And how thrilling it is is for us every day to first draw from the mercy that God offers to us and then to extend this mercy to people around us. Remember, the world cannot see mercy apart from the people who experience it and share it with others. And you and I are called to be those people. We are called to be the people who move among men as copies of God, as copies of God, who give people a piece of our hearts and not a piece of our minds. We have the power, so we may say, let, him give, let me give him a piece of my mind. No, we don't give him a piece of our minds. We give him a piece of our heart. Why? Because God has called us to be copies of God. This is how the world will know we are different. This is how we will, the world will know who Jesus is. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.